0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 264, for Wednesday, May 26th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome
1: to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab here in Durham, New Hampshire. I am Dave Hamilton.
0: And here in uh, Balmy, Fairfield, Connecticut, I'm uh, John F. Yeah, we just uh, uh, just crested 90 degrees today.
1: Oh, it was it's darn near 100 here today.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: it was when I was over for lunch. I noticed it was like 96 or something. So. Yeah. So I got the AC on, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We both have the AC on today. Mine is uh, mine is notably quiet, though. But uh, I don't hear yours, John. So I think we're good. This is a premium show. Did you say that in the intro, John? No, I didn't. Okay, this is a premium well, show. <laughs> yeah. So this is a premium show. The last one of the last show of May because uh, Monday is Memorial Day, and we will not be recording. So.
0: Oh yes, uh, you got to remind me because I always know Memorial Day is approaching. the The the, the residents in this oh, yeah. down here have have one annoying habit, which just drives me bonkers. Um. You know, there's a parade. You know, most towns have a parade for Memorial Day. Sure. You know, I remember when I was in band, I, you know, was in marching band and got to march in the parade. Um, so there's the parade route. Well, people seem to think that um, they're able to reserve space on the parade route, which is on public land. Uh-huh. they lay out like blankets and chairs sure. and rope off areas and stuff like that. Pretty typical, yeah. Oh, really? Because to me, it's, it's public space. It's like. How can you, reserve? you know, it's like I've heard I think they do this like in Detroit and some places, too, is that people will reserve parking spots, you know, uh, especially if they dig them out. Oh, yeah. Things get out of control. But if you like, you know, so if somebody spends an hour digging their space out and then you park in it uh, later, uh, people tend to get, uh, you know, they'll throw chairs and and all sorts of things to reserve their spots. I don't don't know. I, I just, you know, it's public. How can you reserve public space? If you want to rant, go rant at my neighbor. Yeah, well, you did that already. <laughs> I, I sort of did. Yeah, I, had, I feel good
1: though. Now that uh, my neighbor's screwing me on something, and and I just had to acknowledge that, and then he acknowledged it, and and now I actually feel really good. It's uh, you know, it's it's sort of
0: um, uh, right. exhilarating to to just was, be done with I, that. So. I mean, I was thinking the the uh, the day before the parade. Yeah, boy, I could build up such a uh, lawn chair and blanket collection. <laughs>
1: Oh, they come and wait a minute. I hate to I hate to derail the show here, but they actually they set them up the day before, not just like the morning of. Oh, no, 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 no. People are doing it days before. Days. Oh, that's crazy. Okay.
0: I'm already seeing people laying out, roping off areas, laying out chairs and putting out blankets. And of course, we're going to have some severe thunderstorms over the next <laughs> couple of days. So that could be unpleasant. But no, that's my rant. Oh, no, that's no, no. The morning, the morning of I, I'm 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 all right with that. But I guess if you know, it's like,
1: what people do, it's what they do. Right. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a tacit approval by the town. If no one stops them, then it's been going on for years. It is what it is. Shall we get to Jonathan's uh, question here? Yeah, let's, uh,
0: let's, uh, let's.
1: All right. I do have an announcement uh, for premium users, but we'll go, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Just to remind me, we, it's important that we, that we talk about this. Uh, Jonathan writes, I recently bought an Apple led cinema display to partner with my MacBook pro. For the most part, everything is running very smoothly, but there's one thing that keeps annoying me. It's that if I plug the display in, when the MacBook is closed, it wakes up. And of course only activates the external display. Then when I open the lid, it does not activate the laptop display. I know I can fix this by going into the displays preference pane and clicking the detect displays and all as well. But this is simply taking too, too much time and too many clicks not to get me annoyed. What I would like to do is to be able to do this quickly with a tool like LaunchBar. Do you know if there's a terminal command to do this, which I can link to LaunchBar, or if there's any good software out there to manage multiple displays? I recall how you often talk about the GUI most of the time links directly to terminal commands. Do you have any tips on how to find the underlying commands? Okay, so I did a little digging and I don't know the terminal command to uh, to sense the displays, though. I'm sure there is one, Uh, but I've seen two things mentioned. One uh, is a very old article from 2002 that says uh, hitting F2, which uh, on most keyboards, I believe, will increase the brightness and doing that will wake it up. However, if that doesn't do it, hold down the command key and hit F2. That, I believe, forces a display re-detect, uh and should do exactly what you're looking for. So one little keystroke, I believe, you. I think you're going to have to hold down command and hit F2. And that should uh, that should take care of it. So I'm hmm. sure there's a terminal command to do it. I mean, it would it would stand to reason. But uh, but I do not know what that is. And I could not find it.
0: And uh, despite my searching. Yeah, I thought it was Option. Uh, maybe it is uh, Yeah, one of those keys. Um, I think it, it's it, command. It,
1: it, yeah. Yeah. Everything I read said command, but it could yeah. be option. Yeah. If command doesn't work, try option F2. That's the magic one. And you might have to hold down the function button if you've rearranged the way your uh, function keys work. So it might be command F, function, which is the little FN button and then F2. Uh, but but uh, but I but try it without the FN button. I think it
0: should work. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, suggestion, especially on portables, right? Um, right, you remap things. Um, the only thing I want to add is he's asking, "You, know, is there a good utility?" Um, that this will come up a little later in the show, but is there a good utility to manage multiple displays? And I'm, I'm uh, starting to use this more, but but there is a utility called SwitchRes Ten. It actually uh, comes should, up as a should, should
1: I um should I should we do Clayton's question here, and then you just talk about SwitchRes Ten once, and we'll we'll lump these together. Should we do that?
0: You
2: know, dive right into Clayton and then yeah. All right, here we go. Good idea. Hey Pete, Dave and John. See how I mix that up. Had a Thanks. quick question. I have a uh, Mac Mini that I have in my living room set up as an entertainment computer. And uh, the problem I'm having is that the screen resolution keeps changing every time I turn on and off my television. I'd like to set it at uh, 1360 by 768, but unfortunately, every time I power cycle my Sony Bravia television, uh, it changes back to 1600 by 900, which is, um, it overscans and it's not very pretty when you look at it. Uh, it's a little uh, pixelated. So uh, I'd like to be able to lock my screen resolution on the Mac mini so that it always outputs uh, the same screen resolution. But uh, I have searched and searched and searched and can't figure out a way to do it. I can't find any command line uh, issue um, solutions. Excuse me. So uh, any help would be much appreciated. Thanks, guys. John.
0: Okay. And now I can mention this. Uh, utility does a bunch of things. Um. So one is, um, yeah, well, Utility SwitchFair is 10. So um, it, it has two things that apply to both of these questions. So one, um, though I have to spend a little bit more time with it. One is that it does have something called display sets, and, and I have to explore this more, but I think that may be something that would help for the first question. Mm. And then the second question that I see here is one of the features. When, is when that, you say um, first
1: question, you're talking about Jonathan and de- auto-detecting, yes. and the second question is one we just heard from from Clayton, correct? Right. Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah. So so for the first question, when he's asking is there a utility that, that can help manage displays, I would say this is a utility that helps manage your displays. Sure. lets you do a whole bunch of things. But then it also um, has a feature where uh, if you're on a display, you can enable um, and also select what resolutions appear in a menu. Um, so I'm going to suggest he looks at, at that as well because I think he may be able to create a... Uh, now it is something you got to pay for eventually. It's a limited trialware, so you, you know won't hurt anything to try it out. But, um, you know, look at switch first 10 because I'm, I, I, suspect, um, it will let you create a configuration that will just lock you. Um, sounds like that's what he wants to do is to lock the computer, um, into a, a certain resolution.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, moving on. Yes. Okay. Michael writes, guys, I'm curious. We've been hearing about how Macs are safe by the term security by obscurity. And while I see this point, I question the fact that Mac OS X is based on Unix and Unix has been around for some time now. In fact, I've heard that most web servers are running on Unix and many of the banking computers are also running on Unix. So to me, that says Unix is fairly popular. Why don't we see more attacks not just on Mac OS X, but Unix in general? Okay. Uh, This is this is something I think we can both kind of talk about this, but, you know, I've been using Unix machines for a long time and I've seen them get a whole lot more secure. You know, if you go read books like The Cuckoo's Egg, uh, you'll run into people uh, like like Newt Sears, right, who I actually ran into uh, uh, in in this exact world years and years ago, uh, who, you know, knew their way enough around a Unix system that if you gave them access to. A normal unprivileged shell account could very, very quickly, within about thirty minutes, have full access. Uh, and in fact, he would relentlessly taunt these sysadmins. He would, he would, you know, get full access and then call them up and tell them, "Watch me do this on your system and watch me do that." Right? Uh, so, you know, that was in the old days. Though a lot of those holes, in fact, almost all of those holes, have been plugged. Uh, you know, Unix has been in the wild for forty years. Uh, Most of the holes aren't weren't even in the kernel to begin with. They were with uh, additional software where you might have some piece of software. What would happen is, you know, you'd have your user account that's unprivileged. Right. But you knew that once every hour, uh, this little engine was going to go and run a set of commands that was in a certain file. And that engine just so happened to run with uh, privileges. So if you could edit the file that the command was going to run, then boom, you'd be you'd have access to the uh, you know, you could have it uh, go and privilege your user account. Right. And then from there, you're good to go. So a lot of those holes have been found. And then, you know, uh, since since they've been found, they've been plugged. Uh, and I believe that to me, that's what makes Unix as secure as it is. There are still holes if you have insecure passwords or uh, other things like that. And there are holes that pop up, but but they are plugged very, very quickly that uh it really just hasn't been an issue so uh, I, don't, I don't know what you, i know you said you had some stuff to add to this too john
0: yeah a few things that so one yeah. cuckoo's egg is an excellent book <laughs> it is I, I believe it started with uh, uh, an admin noticing a small accounting discrepancy and it just spiraled out of control to this mm-hmm. whole worldwide thing and i think that was how the, the the hacker was able uh if you want to consider that person a hacker and there's a whole battle on using that term right um but part of the the reason the 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 guy who was attacking his system was so successful was that um, various law enforcement agencies throughout the world don't necessarily work together well. And that was the problem, is this guy was global. He was bouncing all over the place, going from one jurisdiction to another. So uh, deciding who was responsible for solving the problem was, was half, half the fun. <laughs> right. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, as you pointed out, I mean, this stuff has been around for a while. Now, in the case of uh, OS X, um, the kernel, I believe, is something uh, called the mock kernel right uh, which that's is, right you know, the thing at the very lowest level and that's something that i believe was developed at uh, CMU or carnegie mellon back in like 84 85 is the the founding of that i think that's so, right you know, yep so that's something that is tried and true and then the core of OS10 as you probably know is um you know from Steve Jobs old company next and uh and uh next step was the operating system that apple eventually decided to purchase and uh is what OS 10 is today. And that the last version of that, and I think that had a run of about 10 years. And the last version of that came out in about 95. Right. The, but I, in think that, I, sorry,
1: I think I thought, uh, if I remember my history and I'm looking it up quickly here, but I think it was 1989 when that, uh, when the first version of next step was released late 89. Yeah. So yeah.
0: right. And that five or six turn, year run. Yeah. Right. And that in turn, I believe contained components of uh, uh, something called free BSD. Right. And also something called NetBSD, which also has roots, uh, you know, going back about 20 years. So, um, uh, and also because these things are, uh, you know, most of these are, uh, you know, somewhat open uh, open source is that they, they can be subject to scrutiny by the uh, development community. Right. You know, as opposed to, uh, you know, OS 9, which I, I don't think that was, you know, that, that was Apple's, uh, you know, kind of little secret there. So you really didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, and to this day, Apple still contributes, uh, you know, to the open source community yep. um, with the OS. So, so it's certainly possible that there are still some, you know, little security bugs in there somewhere. I mean, so some of them popped up. You remember, you know, like the ping of death when that came out? Yeah. It was something that took everybody by surprise and almost everybody was working off the same TCP IP code base and no one just nobody ever thought of that attack. Right. Um, I think the biggest problem right now is not those attacks, which I think are, you know, pretty sophisticated. You know, a lot of them are usually buffer overruns and stuff like that. But I think the biggest risk right now is not so much those type of attacks, but um, the, the, the phishing and other things that you see.
1: Um, right, right, which has nothing to do with the, you know, the core security of the OS, but but more just browser and and social engineering security, right? If you can convince a user to cough up their information... Uh, you know, the rest of the security doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, now the nice thing, of course, uh, OS 10 is uh, pretty much by default is that anytime anything tries to install itself, um, right. it's going to say, oh, yeah, by the way, can I have an admin password? And I think that that's helped OS 10 be less prone to uh, attacks versus some uh, some other operating systems. Interesting. So Windows, Windows has gotten better, of course, too. It has, yeah, it has. All right, on
1: to Kirk, and this will be one of... Probably multiple questions from Kirk, and I believe it's all the same, Kirk this week, but uh, all good questions. Kirk writes, I have a question about Apple Mail. My wife and I share an email account, a gmail account. However, if someone sends me a message and I look at it, it's marked as red. So when Apple Mail on her Mac pulls down her messages via iMAP, she can easily miss an incoming message, and vice versa. Do you know of a way to tell mail only to mark a certain account's incoming messages as read locally? In other words, can mail have messages appear to have been read locally while still preserving an unread state on the IMAP server? Uh, So the simple answer here is no. IMAP is uh, you are not technically you are downloading pieces of mail, but really what you're doing is you are syncing with the server. Uh, The server is the master and then every computer is just a client to that master. So any changes that are made on the client are supposed to be, and mail honors this, uh, reflected up on the server so that every other client has it. And that's why if you are using IMAP and say you're out and about and you reply to an email from your iPhone uh, and you go back to your desk, if you connect to that same account via IMAP, you'll see it marked uh, with a little reply there because that message has now been flagged by the iPhone and the change is synced via the server. So that's the, that's the the long version of the short answer, which is no, it's not possible to do it At least not that way, but there's more than one way to uh, skin this particular cat. Uh, And so I started thinking about this, John, and I thought, well, you know, Gmail's good because the the accounts are free uh, and their IMAP support works pretty well uh, as long as you know what you're doing with it. And so I thought, well, how about this? The mail all comes into one account. We'll call that account a right. Why not have that forward? Uh, out to two other accounts, one for Kirk and one for Kirk's wife. And then uh, Kirk and his wife, instead of ch- both syncing to the main account, each sync to their individual accounts. Uh, and then that way we've solved the problem. If Kirk reads a message well, he's not syncing to his wife's account, so it's fine. The one next step is presumably they want to both send and appear to be sending from that same master account so that replies will then come into both of them. And to do that, what I would recommend is in your individual Gmail accounts, you can go into settings, uh, accounts and import, I believe is the name, and you can add other email addresses there uh, It'll ask you to confirm them by sending you an email to that account that you have to click on a link to to verify that you actually have ownership of that account. And once you do that, then Gmail will let you send mail from uh, those accounts. You can you can make any of those the default once you've authenticated for them. So you could you could once you're all done setting it up. You could have these two separate accounts coming all fed from the one funnel. And anytime you send mail out, it appears to come out from the funnel and not from the individual accounts. And that should get you what you're looking for with, uh, with, with, uh, with a little bit of work. So that's, that was, that was my thought on that, John had a little inspiration. Yeah. I think it'll work. Moving on to gray. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You know, I'll take this time because I don't want to forget about this. So, Uh, We started the premium subscription thing back in December, which means that the first round of subscribers are coming due, uh, I believe, June 14th will be the day because uh, or maybe June 13th. I got to look at that. But it was some sometime right around there. Uh, We have found that the system that we uh, set up initially with PayPal at the core uh, is not going to work long term. Uh, There's a lot of reasons for it. I'm not going to bore you with them. I'll I'll simply say mea culpa. Uh, But, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that you sort of don't realize until you're knee deep in it. We have set up another system. It will be going live for new premium subscriptions very shortly here. And everyone who has a subscription will automatically be migrated over. You'll get an email from us. Uh, If you're on a recurring subscription, you'll get an email as to what you're supposed to do. And if you're on a uh, one-time non-recurring subscription, you'll get an email from us uh, telling you what your options are. Of course, we hope that you choose to... uh to stick around because uh, John and I love doing this. So, uh, so just FYI, you will get emails uh, from, I, I don't know who they'll come from specifically, but Steven Swift's been working on it. Uh, uh, it may come from me. It may come from, from Steven. It may just come from Mac geek. Yeah, but you will get an email from us that explains everything that's happening. In theory, your account name and password won't change the way you log in. Won't change. None of that uh, should change. It's just the backend processing engine uh, is radically different. Actually. That's uh, that's all I have to say about that. So thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for. Well, first of all, thank you for being premium subscribers that yes. in, and of, in and of itself. Huge. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and then uh, please accept our apologies in advance for any minor little hiccups that might occur as we as we do this transition. I think we've got it under control, but. Yeah. You know, I've been using computers long enough. I've been using computers too long to say that everything's just going to work swimmingly. So, um, there might be a couple of hiccups. We appreciate you bearing with us as we, as we make that migration happen. with that, I think it's time for gray, unless you have something else to add there, John.
0: Nope. I, I also thank all our uh, subscribers.
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. It really, it's, it's a special thing and we appreciate it. All right. Gray. Um, I'm not sure how to how much of this to read. I'll just read it. Gray writes, my 500 gig time capsule died in its sleep. I managed to reconstruct my home network with the airport express 802.11 and I was using to extend the network and as an Airtunes conduit for my stereo system. Before I take the time capsule to the Apple store, I'm reviewing my options. If Apple decides to replace the unit, I'll expect to just go home and reinstate my previous setup, but I'll add a USB drive to archive the time machine backups. Uh, if they don't replace the time machine, I'm considering a one terabyte time capsule. This would require a larger bot drive for archives. Again, should they not replace the unit? I could buy an airport extreme dual band. I would then back up my wife's computer with a new firewire or USB drive via time machine. Uh, and I will use a uh, I Omega drive what pre-time capsule to backup my Mac, or I could just stick with airport express and keep my Apple TV synced to my iMac since it's attached to my stereo. Uh, and of course this means no streaming audio from the Mac using airfoil. So I have two questions. Number one, am I unwise to buy another time capsule since mine just dropped dead? And number two, should I get the dual band mode? Will my IMAX at running on the five megahertz gigahertz band be able to see my HP wifi printer running at the 2.4 gigahertz band. Uh, and I believe that's it, right? Megahertz, gigahertz. Why am I getting confused here, John? Because CPU speed and Wi-Fi speeds are the are the uh, are the are the issue. Wi-Fi is megahertz, correct? John. Um, Hello. Sounds right to me. Okay. okay. Wi Wi-Fi five megahertz and two point four megahertz. So no, uh, no, no, gigahertz. It is gigahertz, right? He wrote megahertz, and I'm I'm trying to uh, translate on the fly.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty low frequency.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. OK, uh, so question number one, my feeling is, yes, go, you know, the time capsule, if it's the right option for you, don't hesitate to get one just because you saw one die. I had an Ethernet port go bad on one of mine. It was like the my fault or that of the lightning in the area. But uh, but, you know, it was Apple replaced it and it's been running fine. It's it works swimmingly. And I know you've got one, John, and uh, plenty of other people have them. And, and they're they're quite reliable and quite handy as as i'm sure you found great. Yeah.
0: They had a they did have a brief run where i heard an above average number of reports of hard drives in those things rolling over. Okay. Um but yeah, i mean because apple i think sources, you know, sure. whatever they can get. So uh, Yeah, it I'm could happen with any manage. drive you buy, that's right. Yeah.
1: All right. So question number 2. Uh, well, did, did well, you, we, had, you had some more to add on question number one. Is that right, John? Well, one,
0: I mean, the only other option that, that would occur to me, and actually he touched on it in his option three. Um, it's a little risky. He may save a few bucks here because um, if you look at the pricing, um, yep. current pricing right now on Airport Extreme is 179 Okay. A brand new one. Well, actually, you know, I'm going to offer a suggestion here if he's going to get something. So, 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 again, the Airport Extreme is $179 uh, retail pricing. A time capsule one terabyte, I just looked, is 299 so there's a little delta there. The time capsule two terabyte is four ninety nine. Okay. He may want to do like what I did for uh, for my mom recently because she updated from one of the old uh, UFO shaped ones. Um, again, if you want to save a few bucks here, and I I I fully trust uh, Apple refurb's because um, we saved quite a bit. Uh, you know, like at least ten oh, yeah. percent or fifteen percent. So, so one thing is, you may want to consider an Airport Extreme and slap your own drive on there, because then you're not limited by the size of the drive that Apple decides to put in there. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to to get a one terabyte drive for for uh, you know that 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 cheap, um, but you do have the flexibility of the size of the drive if you plug it into the Airport Extreme. Uh, of course, you run the risk since that's not an officially supported configuration. Though, uh, you know, everybody, you know, as we discussed uh, in the past, it seems to work just swimmingly right now. So. Um, so maybe you want to roll your own with the Airport Extreme. The, uh, to me, that would be choice number two, if, if money is tight. And strongly consider the refurbs. Uh, sometimes they pop up and, and disappear. Um, they're not always available, and they may not be the most current. Like, I think the one I got from my mom is not. I think it's the single-band one. It's not the dual-band one. Or no, I think it was the dual-band one. And again, you're going you're gonna to save some money, and I, I couldn't tell the difference. It looks brand new. So that's all I have to say about that. All right. Uh, So question number two,
1: right, uh, where we're talking about single band versus dual band. Will the IMAX on the five gigahertz band be able to see the HP Wi-Fi printer running on the 2.4 gigahertz band? The answer is in a default configuration. And unless you really muck with things, yes, Uh, it does not matter what physical layer things are on being one wireless band, another wireless band or the Ethernet. Uh, all are tied together and, and effectively bridged inside the router so that and that's that's whether or not you're I hate I hesitate to use the word bridge because there is a bridge mode of the router uh, but you do not need to be in bridge mode for the router to bridge all of its interfaces together uh, with the exception of the WAN interface The all the bridge mode does is it bridges the WAN interface being the one that you would normally plug into your cable or DSL modem in with everything else but that Even with that off, everything else is bridged. Your four ports, the, the 2.4 and the 5 gigahertz. So hopefully I didn't confuse that too much.
0: Okay, so what you're saying is that I could have devices both connected in the 5 gigahertz mode and the 2.4 gigahertz mode. Um, but uh, th- th- that's not important because it's going to appear to be, or it's just that everybody is connected by Wi-Fi to this one unit.
1: Or wired, right? I mean, you got four Ethernet ports yes, on the back, right, right. too. So and, and the devices, the, the at a low level, the devices care how they're connected, of course. But in terms of connectivity and and routing and all of that, they all will see each other as though they're on the same network because they are on the same network. They're just not on the same physical right. layer. So that's and not at the same doing. frequency. And so it doesn't make a difference. difference. Right. It doesn't make a difference. Right. In fact, you're better off that way. Right. Because if you're. And it doesn't matter with the printer, because typically you're not sending gobs and gobs of information. But, you know, if you're sending information from one computer to another and one's on five and one's on two point four, well, they're both getting full use of that spectrum. Whereas if they were both on five, they're actually sharing that spectrum, trying to get data to and from each other. So uh, if you have the option, plug it in Ethernet. Uh, that's always, always my advice. Uh, but, you know. And go from there. You know, I it, this is a good time to are we are we good with this? Because I get a little tangent to uh, spring on you here, John.
0: You know, I'm actually reading the question again here. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if we didn't get it quite right. Now that I'm reading it over here again,
1: what, what, what's the what's the concern? Uh,
0: Which question? Said, the first question or the
1: second question? The,
0: the second question. Okay. So, IMAX are on the five gigahertz band. Correct. The HP Wi-Fi printer is on the 2.4 gigahertz band. Correct. And and will the iMac see the printer? And the
1: and the answer is absolutely they will. There's no question about that.
0: It's how it works. They won't. If the printer is connected to the base, I think is the question. No, no, because it's a
1: networkable printer. Right. The printer in and of itself will do the networking. All it has to do is be connected to a network via Wi-Fi. Okay,
0: so, well, well, all right. The, the, the way I was reading this is that, that there's an option to connect directly to the printer.
1: If it's you a USB printer. That's not what he's talking about. He's well, not what, talking what about.
0: Uh, all right. Let, 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 uh, I'm sorry. Let, let me. Uh, uh, I have seen printers yep. that have Wi-Fi built into them. Yeah, that's what this one is. Right. Okay.
1: So, uh, I mean that and and what you do, so you have two options with those with Wi-Fi printers, right? One is by default this printer will create its own airport network called HP setup. Uh, it's because he said it's a Hewlett Packard printer and you've probably seen this if you go to offices or whatever, you know, somebody have a network called the HP setup. And usually what that's from is it's from a Wi-Fi capable printer that is plugged in via USB and no one's bothered to configure. So what you can do though, is you connect to the HP setup network via, you know, with in your airport menu. Right. And now you're not connected to the internet anymore. All you're connected to is the printer. Uh, and at that point, you can run the HP software or you can visit the Web page. And I don't know the IP address, but I think it's like 192.168.0.1. And at that point, you can go through and configure the printer, uh, the printer's network settings. And what you'll do is you'll type in the name of your main uh, airport network. And any authentication, you know, is WPA and what the password is and all that. And then the printer will go off and connect itself to your network. So so, yeah, I made the assumption here because because it sounds like he's already done this once. But uh, I made the assumption that Gray knew how to do this. But but yes, for clarity, he would have to first connect the printer To his Wi-Fi network.
0: That's yes. uh, uh, That was my question. Is that that he would not be able to directly connect from the iMac to the printer point to point.
1: Well, he could, but he would have to jump off of his network. Yes. That's what I was saying. Yes. The
0: iMacs are in five gigahertz mode and the printer is two point four. Well, it wouldn't matter.
1: Actually, let's wouldn't let's take the five gigahertz and two point four gigahertz out of it. Right. Let's say everything's at two point four. Right. Uh, it still wouldn't matter if his air, if he's connected to his airport base station and his printer's still in default HP setup mode, uh, he's not going to see the printer when he's connected to his base station in 2.4, the same way he won't see it connected because it's just not the same. It, you're picking one access point over the other, right? The, you, you have to change the printer from being an access point to being a client. Uh, and, and so you do that that's, by connecting to the printer the first time right. and configuring it, like I said.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Yep. OK, because yeah. I haven't dealt with those beasts I've dealt with. It. The only printer I have right now is my uh, it, it's plugged into, which effectively is the same thing, I guess, as I have my my print, although physically it's connected by a USB. Yep. it's available because everybody on the network sees it through the uh, time capsule.
1: Sure. And that's a handy thing about the time capsule. You know, Gray Gray's printer, not to get too deep here, but this is a good conversation. Gray's printer. Is Wi-Fi capable? My guess is it's also USB capable. But if you have a print, which means that in addition to a Wi-Fi circuit in Gray's printer, he's also got networking components. Right. And it's got a little board in there that's going to manage the interface and it's going to it has a print queue in it. So if three people try to print it once, the printer is going to manage its own print queue. So it's got a whole lot more smarts than your average printer. Right, Your average printer doesn't have any print queue software, doesn't have anything inside it, in, inside its little printer box. It, it's up to the computer to manage that. Or if you have something like a time capsule or an airport express or an airport extreme that you can plug a USB cable into, you can, that will act as the print server and will bridge the printer to your network, either via Wi-Fi or, or yeah, however else, you know, you want to, you want to do that, however else you want to connect. But yeah. That's right. So so it is a cool thing that the time capsule has that that printer bridge gray in particular doesn't sound like he needs it. But a lot of the rest of us do. And it's handy to, mm-hmm. you know, it it turns any USB printer into a network printer, which is really cool. So. Got it. All right. I had a tangent. Oh, I remember. So, uh, you know, we were we were talking about getting this new couch for our living room. Uh, except our neighbors screwing us and he's not going to sell us the couch that he agreed to sell us. And that's all. That's as far as my rant's going to go. Uh, but in the process, I started thinking about, okay, well, we have to rearrange our living room and, you know, our wifi circuitry in there. Uh, it's sort of at a stretch anyway. And so, uh, I talked to the people at Netgear. About Powerline and, and how that's going to, you know, would it work for us? And so I've been checking out and I'm not ready to really kind of give a full review on them, but I I've been checking out these Powerline units, the the AV plus units, which have uh, the capability of going at up to 200 megabits a second. And they've also with well, the idea behind Powerline, for those of you that don't know, is that you plug this little device into your You know, uh, AC outlet in the wall, your three prong AC outlet, and you plug two of them in one near your router, preferably, and one far away from the router that, you know, near somewhere that you want to get connection to. And it plugs into the wall and then it's got an Ethernet port on it. And when you plug them in, they sync up with each other magically over your power lines. And you plug the Ethernet cables in and it's as though you've plugged the Ethernet cables into each other. It's using your power lines to snake uh, the network connection through. They've got some cool software. These things don't grab an IP address, so there's no web interface or anything. But they've got some software and I don't know how it finds them, but it finds them. Uh, And uh, I mean, you're connected over Ethernet, so that's how it finds them. And uh, it'll tell you how good the connection is. And on mine, both of them are sitting at about 80 megabits per second is their maximum throughput, which is great. So what I did is I ran, you know, I have the network kind of coming into one corner of the house. Uh, So I've got a power line adapter there. I've got another one clear on the other side of the house in the living room. And now I have another airport base station in the living room in bridge mode. Just beaming more airport signal into an otherwise uncovered area of the house. And I put a switch there, too. So now I can plug my TiVo in uh, Ethernet. I don't have to go wireless with the TiVo anymore. The Wii, I still have to do wireless because that's all I've got for that. But, you know, it's wireless by two feet instead of wireless by 40 feet. And uh, and everything's much happier. So uh, other than the fact that, we, you know, we're not getting the couch that our neighbor promised to sell us. But that's you know his problem. Uh, so uh, but it works. It works really, really well. And I did some some, you know, speed tests on it. And it does it. You know, it hits that 75, 80 megabits per second, which isn't bad. Uh, you know, it's not 200 uh my guess is that you know based on a lot of different factors there's interference et cetera, in the in the power circuitry you know you're you're going to get closer and closer to your maximum but 80 megabits is totally fine uh especially when really what i'm using the network to extend is like i said the the tivo but also just an airport base station for you know if i'm in the living room on the ipad or the iphone uh you know we're not seeing coverage kind of drop in and out so it's pretty cool and it it was cake to set up these Netgear gear ones. They've got a little button that you press and it links them together securely so that nothing else can kind of, you know, so somebody else, like if John came over and he had his own Netgear gear unit and he went downstairs and he plugged in, uh, if I didn't set him up securely, he would just magically be on the network. If I did, uh, Sweet. then he would have to, yeah, he would have to, you know, ask to join and all that stuff. It's really actually pretty cool. So I'll I'll talk more about them as I spend more time with them. I just started messing with them this week.
0: So that's, you know, before I, before
1: I thought before, before when I, when I thought we were getting the new couch, that's when I started messing with
0: them. Do you want to talk about the couch? Nope. I'm good. Um, Okay. You got it out of your system? Well, no, but you know, this isn't really the time or place. No, no. So you're essentially getting, so you're getting almost a hundred base T connection. Yes, that's right. Almost 100 base T, correct. Okay, yeah. that's good. 100 base T. So so uh, I guess the best, uh, so the best speed you would get, of course, is if you ran a gigabit Ethernet over to your TiVo. I assume the TiVo has gigabit, or does it not?
1: It does, but to be careful, uh, mm-hmm. I have not seen the TiVo. The TiVo actually isn't going any faster than it was before, and that's because the mm-hmm. TiVo... Uh, the CPU inside the TiVo is not fast enough to beam data out Mm. any more than about maybe two megabytes a second. Maybe it's usually about 1.8. And that's a series three TiVo, which is I guess the fastest one uh, that they've released thus far. Although maybe the Premiere is, is faster,
0: but uh, but yeah, and then they came out with the N adapter, which from what I hear is Uh, doesn't buy it much.
1: Well, you know, the TiVo N adapter is, is nothing new. Right. Because the N adapter doesn't plug into the USB port on the TiVo. The old uh, 802.11G adapter plugged into the USB port. The N adapter plugs into the Ethernet port. And all it is Mm. is a wireless to Ethernet bridge. So you could buy any one of those. You don't need to buy a TiVo branded one if that's what you want to do. As long as your TiVo has an Ethernet port, which which mine does. But now it's it's hardwired in over the power line, which is good because if I'm it's not so much that it it uh, it's any faster because it's not. But if I'm beaming movies, uh, you know, or TV shows rather from the TiVo to the computer uh, or or vice versa, if I'm streaming out, I'm now not using, you know, all of my Wi-Fi bandwidth in the house to do so. It's all going over the power line. So that's a good thing. Right. It's pretty cool. Hey, okay. man, it's good nice. stuff. It's good stuff. So. All right. Uh, let's talk about Scott, John. you ready to talk about Scott, 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 Scott. Scott writes <laughs> Scott writes, uh, I'm stumped about something in mail. The tooltips, you know, those yellow boxes that pop up when hovering over a link or a graphic are annoying, and I'd like to turn them off. Googling has unveiled many a hint about disabling those tooltips in web applications, Safari, Firefox, but nobody seems to have determined an easy way to do the same thing within mail. I've tried Mac pilot secrets and searching terminal help sites. None offer the answer. Can you? I didn't. I couldn't
0: find it. John, with ah, your Google okay. Foo, you found right. it. My, my Google Foo was strong. So, okay, no, I, w- I was confused because he was at the end of my agenda here. Uh, that's all right. Okay, so, so yes, so my Google Foo was strong with this one. So I was scratching my head over this too because a lot of applications will offer in the preferences a way to disable tooltips. And, uh, you know, as tooltips is, yeah, when you hover over some things, you get usually after about a second, which is leading to the solution here, which okay. is the default. Um, you get a little yellow window that tells you what you're hovering over, uh, you know, whatever the developer wants to put there, But it kind of gives you an idea of what you're hovering over what it does. Sometimes people pick crummy icons for things. So. Sure. So it gives you the text of what it does. Now, I learned something new today. So I found an article that described how to do this. Um, and you can do this on an application-by-application application basis. So this is something that's very deep within, I think, Cocoa or the OS. Really? And here's what I did. Yes, so it, it is not only, I, I believe you can also apply this globally. I, I did this for the specific application. And I'll, uh, the, the article I found, I think, is actually was a uh, Macworld article okay. that, that went over this. But as soon as I saw this, I'm like, oh, okay. And it kind of helped me understand how the OS works. And what you do is you go to the terminal, do not be afraid of the terminal, and you enter the following defaults, space, write, space, com.apple.mail. Space, NS initial tool tip delay, space dash int space, and I'm going to pick a value of ten thousand here, which would be this ten is, seconds, right? The the value here is in milliseconds. Okay, so ten seconds is ten thousand milliseconds. A millisecond being one thousandth of a sure. second. Sure, sure. I did this. And actually, I quit. he said that he had to log out and log back in to do this. I actually quit mail before I did this. And then when I started up mail again, I hovered over one of the icons, and I counted to 10, and that's when the tooltip came up. So the thing is, this is a, to me, this is the closest you're going to – so I found no way to disable it, but this makes it so you can extend the delay so you effectively are disabling it unless you hover over something for 10 seconds. uh. And what this is doing underneath the covers, because at first I was like, you know, there's got to be something. And I looked in the the plist file, and here's where it kind of all comes together. So if you look in your preferences folder, you will see that there's a preference file called com.apple.mail.plist. So I looked in there because I figured, you know, there's got to be something in here that's, uh, or I think I opened it with bbedit, actually. made it easier to... uh, you know, search through it and I I think I found one thing that had the word tooltip in it but, it but it wasn't very helpful. So you'll notice when I when I when I mention this command here, I did not include the 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 .plist, but effectively what this does is it creates a new entry in the com.apple.mail.plist file and the name of the entry is you guessed it NS initial tooltip delay and the value you guessed it is 10000. So from that point cool. forward, if you want to modify this again, you can get your favorite plist editor and you will see that there is a new value in the regi- in the plist file for mail. But you could Not also
1: to- you could also just keep updating it with your defaults write command from the terminal if
0: you want as well. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it, it, okay. uh, I I assume it just overwrites what's what's there. Again, you you probably want to quit the application. Um, though I don't think you have to. I, I think it'll probably write to the plist file. And then if you want to, you know, get rid of it, I, I I don't know if it's, del- uh, the uh, the the article I found had instructions on how to get rid of it, but if you want to get rid of it, say you do want to have the uh, the tooltips again, then I would say the best approach would be to go into the plist file and just delete the entry for ns initial tooltip delay. Got it. So, yeah. Yeah, so right, the big picture right, here right. is this command essentially creates a new entry in a plist file for an application. That's Got what it. it's doing for you. Got it. So, and he wrote back and he said, yep. It worked. Thank you very much. Uh, and you get a golden shovel, I think you said. I did. As I for, said I had for, to do some. Digging. For all your digging. That's right. <laughs> I like that. But that was a head scratcher because I was getting annoyed. I was, I was opening the package. Uh, my other approach, I was thinking, well, you know what? Maybe I can find the tooltip resource and just delete it. Now, that's, that's kind of brute force. I, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that solution. But I was trying to dig through the package because, of course, mail, like a lot of other things, is just a package. Sure. Yeah. It oh. Layers in it. Oh. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So that was yeah. the other thing I was doing. I was I was digging through trying to find where all the tooltips were, and I figure if I delete the tooltips, that <laughs> may be another way to do it. I uh, that may yeah, upset sure. mail though. Sure. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. It would. <laughs> well, even if it didn't upset
1: mail, you'd have an issue where every time there was an OS update, it would replace the modified version of Mail.app that you had mucked with, and you'd get all your tooltips back. This way should persist across multiple updates without without so much of an issue unless mail and, and i guess in this case it's it's the os in in general that's that's managing this but that would uh that would do it so
0: right well before i did the you know modify the package contents i made a backup of mail app got it got <laughs> so I'm it. like you know if i screw this up i, I don't want to and, and i think the application should still make get upset if you rip pieces out of it I, I don't know if it checks for integrity or something saying whoa whoa somebody messed with me i'm not running got it
1: cool all right, uh, let's go. Uh, we can skip this OpenGL thing. It's it's too it's even too esoteric for us, John. I uh, I think. But let's also, go. Also,
0: I don't think there's a good answer on the Mac, which is unfortunate.
1: All right, you know we talked enough about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna run the question quick, quick. Uh, I've got a bit of a geek challenge. My sister was trying to render something in After Effects CS4 when the rendering process was interrupted, and she got the following message: "A problem occurred when processing OpenGL commands." She's found online that on Windows, this can be fixed by disabling the extension limit in NVIDIA's control panel. The question is, can this be done on a Mac? I don't believe there are any prep panes for NVIDIA cards available for Mac OS X. Uh, My first thought is a terminal command, but I have not managed to find anything like this. Okay, Uh, I checked this out there. There are ways of managing this on Windows. There's no guarantee that. Turning off the extensions limit is going to solve this problem, but of course it 's you know one step in the troubleshooting process uh, unfortunately theres there is no way of doing this on the Mac. You could do it in boot camp uh, because that boots Mac into Windows and lets Windows you know see the hardware natively, but that 's not going to help you because then once you boot up into the Mac, this limit, if the application or whatever is enforcing it then it's you know or telling the card to enforce it, then it 's just going to come back uh, but there is one hope. And it's a tool called OpenGL Profiler, which is available uh, for free as part of Apple's developer tools. You got to sign up for an ADC account, but the, that account is free uh, and it will let you modify OpenGL settings on a per application basis. Uh, I couldn't find anything that specifically talked about GL extensions, but the parameter might be in all caps GL underscore extensions or it might be GL all lowercase GL extensions with a capital E. So GL capital E extensions. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, if the open GL profiler app is, I believe the closest thing that we're going to get here and it might not even do it, but, uh, but I'll throw that out there. And I, I did email this to, uh, to Marion who asked the question. So, uh, so perhaps that will,
0: yeah. that'll get us down that path. Now if you're curious what, what open GL extensions are, I did find yeah. something called open GL extension viewer. And I guess open GL is a, uh, a, a, a standard way of, you know, providing graphic services, I guess, to, to oversimplify. But okay. there are ways to extend it and add, uh, you know, add things to an OpenGL driver. Um, the thing is, I, I looked around like you did. And uh, although NVIDIA has tools on Windows that will let yeah. you tweak these values, I, I've scoured their site and I found nothing. Yeah, there's and I nothing. even tried just for a kick, so I didn't think this would work. I tried to install those tools under uh, VMware. The thing is, VMware and other virtual machines uh, typically do not interact directly with the graphic hardware. There's there's a layer between it because when I tried to install it, it said, "Dude, you don't have an NVIDIA card." What do you do? Uh, uh.
1: Right, right, because because right, there's the VMware layer. That's right, that's right. Yeah, new it's, version it's of VMware point.
0: out today. By the way, I saw a thing. Yeah, that's, I got an update too. But, yeah, um, but as you point out, camp. Yeah, you could run the utility, but then of course when you reboot your system, whatever you modified, it's off. There's into the to the air, and it. You know, it gets me because uh, ATI I had on my G5 and still have actually, ATI made something, and I think they still do, called ATI displays, which, depending on your ATI card, um, lets you uh, tweak the values. But, um, you know, if there's any downside on the Mac, it's that, you know, they just, they don't want you messing around with that stuff. That's right. Yeah. So kind of a mini challenge, I guess, if anybody knows how you can muck with those uh, short of the utility. Match, I think that's the best bet, Dave.
1: Um, yeah. And there's no guarantee that that's going to do it. But that, that's that's as close as I could get. All right. So back to uh, back to Kirk. Kirk says, is there any way to delete a hidden partition on an external drive? I just bought a Western Digital two terabyte drive, which has a helpful uh, end quotes virtual CD partition. I tried formatting it and setting it as one partition. But it didn't help. I'd either like to delete this stupid partition or at least keep it from ever mounting. All right. Uh, so, Kirk, uh, we email back and forth with Kirk on this. And we do have, I believe we have an answer. But the interesting thing is that from the command line, disk utility is in our applications utilities folder on our Macs, in, at least in Mac OS X. Uh And then, but on the command line, if you go to the terminal, there is the disk util, D-I-S-K-U-T-I-L, a lowercase command, that is is essentially the 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 it's the core of what disk utility uh, the GUI uses. Uh, It's obviously not as pretty, but it does have some additional functionality. One thing uh, then Kirk sent us a list he did. He did disk util space list. And. When he did that, you could see, uh, you know, it shows all your drives. First, I'm going to say this. Be very, very careful when messing around with disk utility. Uh, I was able to reformat a disk from the terminal without ever running any uh, sudo or entering my password or anything like that. Uh, It was a mounted disk. It was not my boot disk, but it was mounted and nothing stopped me from blowing it away. So uh, I'll start there. But disk util space list is a very safe command as long as that's all you type and it will show you all your partitions and they they are of the type slash dev slash or all your disk, which is slash dev dev for device slash disk and then a number. So in Kirk's case, I think it was disk four and uh, it sh- sure enough showed this partition out there. Now, he said that he repartitioned the drive in disk utility uh, and we're going to believe him on that. I, I do find it hard to believe, though not impossible, John, that. Disk Utility, the GUI, would not show a partition uh, that shows up happily from Disk Util on the command line. Uh, there's, there's a disconnect there. Maybe
0: it's very tiny or hard to see. I don't know. if it's, it's a virtual maybe, CD.
1: Maybe, I mean, it's going to be. Well, could,
0: yeah, that's true. It doesn't have to be a full CD. Right. Right. But I remember because, yeah, I think we. I interjected because, yeah, it sounded like nothing was happening. I'm like, hey, try this. this yeah. list. And there's something called wd smartware which right. i assume is the thing that he wants to nuke and he doesn't want there anymore that's so. right that's right uh so it's a 300 230
1: megabyte uh, partition is what it is so there is a command uh again this makes for a good mgg answers so i will tag it as such uh and make sure that i go and post one of those but the uh again this command will erase all the volumes on the disk and if you type the wrong disk number it will erase the wrong disk so you know, bear that in mind. It's diskutil space erase disk with a capital D. Then you choose the uh, the format, which you know would be HFS plus and then a space and then the name of the disk, which if you want to have spaces in there, you've got to put in quotes. Otherwise, you can just type it uh, and then a space. And now the most important thing, the disk. So in his case, I guess in his case, it was disk two. So it's slash dev slash disk two. Uh, and uh, and that's. That's uh, that did it that, you know, that that'll blow away the, the disc. I, I I don't think we have heard back from Kirk yet to uh, to get confirmation that that <laughs> that that actually did it. Hopefully the lack of confirmation from Kirk doesn't indicate that he reformatted his boot drive. So uh, but I, that that is one of those magic little that disc util command. And the way I found this out was. Uh, The first thing I did was I just typed diskutil, and that gives you a very basic list of all of the commands inside there. If you want more details, you can type man, M-A-N space diskutil from the terminal, and that'll give you pages and pages and pages uh, showing each uh, option inside disk utility, and then some description about how to use it. This can be, man can be your friend. In fact, uh, if you spend any time at the terminal or want to spend any time at the terminal, uh, you will become familiar with using what are called man pages or manual pages, because otherwise there's no way uh, to remember everything or or really no way to figure it out if you haven't learned it the first time. So uh, so that's that's what I did. And I figured it out and kind of crafted this command. And uh, and it it worked for me. So we'll see if it uh, we'll see if it worked for Kirk. And
0: yeah, uh, yeah. another another way a lot of times is um, though though I certainly support the man page. Yep. A lot of uh, command line utilities. Typically, um, if you type the name of the command, a space, and then it depends. Uh, but what I found, like, for example, disutil. if you do disutil space dash H, it'll kind of give you a quick overview of all the options. Uh,
1: that doesn't work. That uh, did on my
0: computer. Really? Yeah. Oh, you're not on uh, Snow Leopard. Um. Well, you know, I t- typed disutil space slash question mark, and that ah. didn't work. And then I did dash H. I think they changed it because I think it's different versions. On my leopard and snow leopard machine,
1: uh, yeah, mine is uh, mine when I do diskutil dash h, it says just type diskutil for a list of commands. Uh, and then and then if I just type diskutil, in fact, it delivers on its promise and gives me a list of, of commands.
0: Ah, interesting. So they changed it between leopard and snow leopard. Yep. And actually, you bring a good one too. Yeah. If you just type the command, I guess depending on who wrote the utility, though, they'll, right. uh, they'll say, "Yeah, here's here here are your options, and here's, right. and that's one of them. Good I one, man. It. Yeah, it's good.
1: All right." You probably know how to contact us by now, but just in case you don't, the email address for you folks to use is premium, P R E I, no, sorry, premium, P R E M I U M, at MacGeekGab.com.
0: Dave, did you say premium? I did, P-R-E-M-I-U-M, and then i m i u m That's right. <laughs> at MacGeekGab.com.
1: Yes, yes, I, I did, but then I flubbed the spelling, of course. That's right. Uh, you can call, and you can send anything you want to that email address. Audio, video, pictures, text, whatever works. 206 666 Geek is the number to call, and Geek is 4335. And you can see the excellent show notes that our esteemed Mr. Braun puts together at MacGeekCab.com. You can send us iTunes comments even though we can't reply. Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast, formerly the iPhone Alley podcast sends uh, sends this out in aac format after he converts it for us and for you and cashfly of course provides all the bandwidth c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com anything else before we uh, say goodbye to our listeners for may and say see you in june
0: um keep an eye on matt Geekab on twitter if you want to uh, see when anything interesting happens on the podcast like when show notes get released or when we publish shows um, of course, I am John F. Braun on Twitter. Dave Hamilton is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. And Mac Observer is Mac Observer. It, it just couldn't be easier. It, it couldn't be easier.
1: Twitter is a lot of fun. It, uh, I go through phases with it, you know, but uh, but there's always something good out there. So, All right. Thank you so much for subscribing. You'll get that note. Uh, we may talk to you again before you get it, but maybe not. So uh, just wanted to warn you that. And thank you again. Don't get caught.